Hello and welcome to episode 99 of the Rollo and Slappy Show. Today is July 9th, 2018. I am Rollo McFlugel and with me is Slappy Jones 2 and we are both of McFlugel.com. The show notes page for this episode is McFlugel.com slash 99 where you will find links to the things we talk about and everything else as well as ways to subscribe to us, follow us, check out our sponsor LibertyMugs.com. And uh, I don't know, we're kind of running into trouble, Slappy, because we're at 99. We're going to go back to zero. I don't think the computer can handle three digits for the show notes page. So I guess we stop. I guess this is the last episode we ever do. Why? Why two hunt? What? What was that? Why two K? Why two hunt? What? Whatever we're at. Why one hundred? Why one hundred? Yes. Why C? E one hundred. Why one C? So. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Hopefully. All right. So, why don't you introduce- the podcast? This is our last guest, our last show. Yeah. We've threatened to end the podcast many times before, but this is definitely the most serious reason to do it. So, for sure. Why don't you introduce our episode topic and guest? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Rollo. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Today, we got a guest, uh, Mike Tron, at Mike Tron on, uh, on Twitter. He's a solid libertarian. We've been following him for years. I know a lot of people who are listening also follow him. He's got a, a couple thousand followers out there. Uh, writes at wearelibertarians.com. And uh, Mike was at the Libertarian Convention. Was it last week, two weeks ago, down in, in Louisiana? So we brought him on to talk about that. I've never been to one of these things. I don't even know what goes on there. Uh, so I thought this would be a cool conversation, especially with all the um, – libertarian politics going on within the party we could get a, a an idea of what mike saw and what his spin on everything is and um you know raul and i are not members of the libertarian party and uh maybe mike will change our mind on that so welcome to the show mike Thank you for having me. awesome introduction and it would be an honor to be your last podcast <laughs> yeah we're gonna burn Bring it down after this down. my uh i told you this is my uh podcast chair you guys are breaking so it'd be an honor to just destroy the podcast <laughs> that's perfect <laughs> first and last yes actually i got to apologize this is a bait and switch we're just going to call you a dirty status the whole time since you're involved in the libertarian <laughs> yeah. party yeah now that we got him here yeah <laughs> one thing I, I actually took away from the convention somebody uh said instead of using status to say state enthusiast and i thought that was pretty nice <laughs> yeah so so this actually you're not the first state enthusiast we've had on the show <laughs> uh we did have a uh what who do we have uh erpelding right? matt erpelding yeah the yeah yeah idaho yeah, Idaho Senate Majority, Minority Leader or something like yeah. that. He came on the show. He, he was a pretty big enthusiast. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Mike, uh, tell us how you got to the Libertarian Convention. Um, not physically, but you know, have, you always, been, yeah, have you always been born, on uh, You're born Michigan. No. Well, I, actually, I've been a Libertarian probably my whole life. I mean. My earliest thoughts of libertarianism when I was 10, 11 years old, you know, I was hearing about uh, this guy, uh, um, Kevorkian with the assisted suicide. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I mean, why is the government getting involved in this? I'm like a kid, you know, I had these thoughts about like, I hear you learn in school about the draft where you can just, they can take you and make you fight. It doesn't make sense to me, you know, whole idea of putting people in jail for drugs, all this stuff never jived with me, but my family was never political. 
I never knew what a Republican or Democrat was. And then when I was in like, I was a, maybe a junior in a high school, I found Harry Brown running for president in the year 2000. So I've been a libertarian since then. And like, you know, six months later, you know, I just went all in. I was just, that was it. I was hundred percent, you know, libertarian. And then I swore off government. You know, I didn't, Mm -hmm. I never voted. After I graduated, I just kind of left the whole scene. I didn't even, I went to work, you know, I worked 12 hour days and I was single. So, uh, it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I settled down in my life and I moved to Indiana, started working life. I actually decided to, I'm going to get involved in this. You know, I missed the whole Ron Paul revolution. Mm-hmm. I was just working. And so I started, I joined the local party just to make some friends. And yeah, I still have never voted by the way. So, uh, what do you call me a state enthusiast? <laughs> Once we registered to vote, but, uh, yeah, I joined the local party just to meet some friends, and I figured I would help steer the party in a more libertarian direction, more toward the Harry Brown style or Ron Paul style libertarianism. And, I, I, you know, that's what I've been ever since, a couple of years ago now. Great, great. So and now we have Nick Sarwak. <laughs> again, <laughs> you know, again. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Um, but we'll we'll get to that. So. Yeah, we will. Yeah, I mean, you, you so you were, you've been libertarian for a long time in in the party for yeah. a couple of years um you still involved locally yeah for sure i mean yeah i hang out with the local people and well I, i'm actually moving in a week to indianapolis i'm in fort wayne indiana right now so i'm going to get involved with that local party there's more people there so in nice. new town so i'm going to have more friends and you know go from there keep spreading the message um, yeah, why not you know yeah exactly so tell us about the convention a little bit Show oh, up it, down it, there. I mean, how many days was it? Let's see. I showed up on, uh, I believe it was Saturday, and we left on the 4th. That was like Wednesday. So it was a good four days all in all. I mean, you know, this thing kind of run together. Once you get there, you kind of lose track. It is all four days of a convention when you include the Mises Bash, which is like the first day. And there, the convention wasn't really happening yet. That's just people getting checked in. But it's about three solid days of actual libertarian convention. The highlight for me, of course. Oh, did I lose you? Hey, I'm here. Yeah, you're just cutting in and out a little bit. I don't know what okay. it is. All right. But no, you're good. Okay. All right. So this Mises Caucus thing was actually before the convention. Yeah, it was like the, it was like the, well, the first day, I think it was a Saturday. There's nothing happening actually with, uh, with party business. You know, you just check it in, getting your delegate, uh, credentials and such. And then, uh, the tables were set up, you know, they have tables, people selling you this or that. And then, uh, yeah, nothing, there's like opening night gala, just, you know, just, uh, hang out, get some drinks. Nothing, nothing, right. no, there's no business going on. So what is, I'm going to ask some basic questions. You'll you'll see how little I do with the Libertarian Party here. <laughs> Explain to me what a delegate is and how you become one and, you know, how's that work? Can anyone in the party be a delegate? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to be uh, – well, the delegate is your state party has so many spots depending on, like, uh, you know, uh, how many members are in your party. Mm-hmm. And I think that also factors into how many votes – uh, your your party got in your state for the presidential election. I don't know the math. I'm not a, you know, delegate-tologist. Each state has so many allotted spots, and then, you know, you go to your state convention, and then that's when you gotcha. get elected delegates by the other uh, other people in your party. 
I see. And then once you get to the convention as a delegate, then you can vote for the, you know, all, all the elected positions, the chair, vice chair. They have something called the Libertarian National Committee, which is like the like the Congress of the party. So the, the chair would be the president and, you know, LNC would be like the Congress. And then, of course, you vote on the, you know, they have like platform, uh, you know, the platform. They might change mm-hmm. a couple things and you vote on it if you want to change it or not. Stuff like that. Nothing really too exciting, to be honest. Cool. So what was going on at the Mises caucus? What was it called? Yeah, the human human action. action. Yeah, human action. Because, you know, so many great speakers. I mean, Tom Woods was there, Bob Murphy, Murphy, uh, Jeff Deist, uh, Michael Bolden, uh, Scott Horton, of course, was there, Larry Sharp. They had uh, Eric July with his band, Backwards, was there. A couple of cryptocurrency uh, people were there. It was just awesome. It was an all-day event. I, I missed the first part of it, but I caught the best parts. And, I mean, just mostly it was just people speaking about the direction of the party. And, and mostly it was involved on the, on the Ron Paul revolution. And they were trying to you know, explain why Ron Paul was so successful, what brought mm-hmm. so many people to the revolution, and why the Libertarian Party needs to adopt those particular strategies and mainly just being against the war and against the Fed. And it was just, I mean, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, the, the, Tom Woods gave a speech there that he put on his um, podcast feed. If you haven't heard it yet, I mean, it was tears. It was so powerful. Yeah, yeah, definitely check that out if you haven't already. I did hear that. It was it was good, and uh, I know they yeah. did a Contra Krugman episode uh, from the yeah. from that event. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I that, so from what I understand about the the Mises Caucus and and what's going on with the Libertarian Party is that they're trying to kind of bring the Libertarian Party back to its kind of libertarian roots, which seems kind of strange that you would have to do that for the, the Libertarian Party. So do you have any insight on, on kind of what went wrong, what's what's been going on with the Libertarian Party that you would need people to be like, hey, uh, let's get it back to like what you were saying, like the Ron Paul Revolution type thing, which is what you would think the Libertarians would be all about. Yeah, well, this has been the classic battle in the party, I think, since the beginning, pretty much. And it's the, it basically is the pragmatic style of, of people versus the purist style. So, you know, the pragmatists are like, well, hey, we just need kind of the wide funnel. Let's 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 elect, you know, let's nominate people that are more palatable to the general population. They'll give them a very basic kind of, you know, ease them into the movement. And then once they're kind of eased in, then we can sort of, you know, mold them, the, you know, into the more purist. Whereas the purist is more like, I mean, you know, no, easing people into it, it you're just you're just kind of uh, almost like you're tricking them, you know. And they're more like you have to just go out there and let people know, you know, people are hungry for truth. And when they see you have conviction in what you're saying. They're more likely to actually uh, to listen to you and hear what you're saying, as long as it's delivered by a respectable person, of course, that is a good communicator, too. You can't just throw anyone up there. It's a purist. It has to be someone that does have some charisma. And so the idea behind the Mises Caucus is that we want to bring back the kind of person that actually brought me, like Harry Brown. If you ever go back and listen to anything he said or wrote, I mean, he was, he was spot on. He was awesome. And he was mm-hmm. the kind of guy I'm talking about. Very charismatic, very 
you know, he was, he was an older guy when he was running for president. He was very you know, presentable and just, I mean, and since then we've had, you know, Bob Barr and Gary Johnson and Bill Well, and these guys are just like snooze fest and they're, yep. they're just, they're barely considered, you know, in the same ballpark that we're in. So it's, it's this internal struggle that's going on right now. And, uh, hoping the Mises caucus is really going to help bring the party back to where I think we'll be more effective. Yeah. Maybe I, in 2012 when Gary Johnson ran, I don't, I don't remember. Maybe I just wasn't paying attention as much as I was later on, but he didn't seem all that terrible back then. But then this last election, it was just, just every turn that he made was terrible. And I, you know, I, I, I understand that trying to bring people into the movement. I know there's a friend of mine I used to work with who was, you know, posting all over Facebook about Gary Johnson and everything. And I was talking to him one time, was, you know, kind of busting his chops a little bit and saying, Gary Johnson's, he's terrible. He's barely a libertarian. He's just like, dude, it's what I got to work with. I mean, <laughs> and I was like, all right. And that's when I kind of decided, like, I'm going to kind of keep my mouth shut during the election cycle over this. It's, you know, I don't know if they if ever if if the world needs another voice of being like Gary Johnson's terrible, you know, if he's going to mm-hmm. introduce people to these ideas, that's good. But um then Bill Weld comes along and it's just like he's just seems like absolute like cancer to things. And I and I remember when when he first came into the libertarian when he got the nomination to be vice president, I remember the reaction from people was, well, he's, you know, he's going to be a pretty good fundraiser. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and maybe that's true, but yeah. I, uh, that, that that doesn't seem like a good reason to put someone on a platform by itself. Yeah, and, and Tom Woods made a great point about that. He said, it, you know, him bringing a lot of money to the party is not necessarily a good thing because that money comes with strings. <laughs> people, yes. are, people are not donating, you know, to a political campaign, at least not in terms of the big money people. It's not it's not a good thing as a party to be attracting those types of people. Right. And I, I remember Tom Woods did an episode after the last election in 2016 where they were talking about he, – he brought on someone from the Libertarian Party to talk about basically – and I forget the numbers. But the campaign manager for Gary Johnson made like four times yeah. what Hillary Clinton's campaign manager went. And it was mm-hmm. like, yeah, all you libertarians out there who supported this group, who thought you were doing something, who thought this was the year. We got Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump. This is the year for libertarians. Well, they just robbed you. And they didn't care. They threw Gary Johnson out there. He did nothing. And now, of course, um, you know, Nick Sarwak, whatever his name is, he'll come on and say how the party's growing and he's bringing people in. And maybe that's true. I have still not talked to anyone who's like, yeah, I'm a Gary Johnson. He got me in the movement. Uh, I'm not saying they don't exist. I just don't really see them. And uh, they stole all your money and did nothing with it. So, I mean, maybe they would disagree with me there, but that's kind of how I feel about it. And so I've always been kind of, I mean, always been turned off by the party anyway, but hearing that just kind of made me sick. It's like, we kind of think we're in this club here and we're all together and we're working for this cause. But then you hear stuff like that and it kind of rubs you the wrong way. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Judd Weiss, I think you were uh, yeah. on the show. Yep, he was the running uh, vice president, running mate to uh, McAfee. And, um, but, you know, in Gary Johnson's defense, he, I mean, he, he reached some people, and there were a few people that were brought in and ended up becoming really good libertarians, and Larry Sharp being one of them. He, he does talk about, you know, 20, 
2012, I think it was, um, he heard Gary Johnson speak. He was just a classic, politically homeless kind of guy who, you know, didn't really fit in the other two parties. He heard him speak. And, you know, Gary Johnson, I don't think, you know, he he has some – I've heard him do some podcasts. He was on Rogan one time up leading up to 2016. I think he did pretty good. He was on Adam Carolla podcast. I think he did all right. You know, in certain, you know, circumstances, he can, he can be all right. But he's the kind of guy, once you shine the light on him, like like what happened in 2016, he fell apart. In 2012, no one shined a light on him. So it was kind of like, you know, he got the paw. Questioned him. No one really challenged him. So he never really had to defend, right. the, yeah. defend the ideology. So he was fine. But he's not, you know, I think, uh, well, I forgot who keeps calling him. I think it might be Tom Woods. He just says, no, it's Dave Smith always calls him an intellectual lightweight. Mm-hmm. And and that's the problem is that he, the more press he got, the worse it was for us because he did not have the, the the you know, the knowledge to really defend our positions. Then you started hearing him say things like, I want to legalize marijuana, but oh, not not the other drug. No, I don't want to do that. Or when he wanted to eliminate the IRS, but I want to that it'll be revenue neutral. Right. So I mean, why would you want to have a revenue neutral? Tax? Right. We don't want revenue neutral. I mean, you want to have less revenue. That's the whole point. And you, you know, so once he was sort of grilled on this stuff, that's when it was really right. And right. and you know, other than that, I mean, he was just. Unfortunately, in 2016, we didn't have a lot of good choices. Austin Peterson wasn't really, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's a kid basically, out of nowhere. The McAfee, I, I kind of like him, but he's a little out there too. I know? like him too, but he's not going to do it. I mean, <laughs> I just wanted that when for you're, the. When you're a person of interest in, in a murder investigation, <laughs> yeah, it's not good for politics. <laughs> well, I was rooting for McAfee just because he was a, uh, this is going to be a roller coaster. It was going to be insane, which probably would be good for the movement overall, but for my personal enjoyment. Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, I remember that I was, I went to the uh, Philadelphia Libertarian presidential debate. Uh, I had some friends that were involved in running it. So, so I went to it and, um, I just happened to be like, oh, let me record the next question, turn my phone on, turn the camera on. And it was, uh, I think it was Larkin Rose asked it, is the non-aggression principle compatible with, or is the Constitution compatible with the non-aggression principle? I remember Daryl Perry was the first one to answer, and he gave he gave a really good answer, uh, just spot on. And it goes to Gary Johnson, and he says, well, the non-aggression principle just, it, yeah, it just goes over my head. Yeah, and I, mean, I don't know I what he was – I mean, I find it very hard to believe that he doesn't understand what the non-aggression principle is. I mean, just mm-hmm. by being around libertarians like that, it should just get into yeah. your mind by osmosis. But to not be able to even communicate something that was half – you know, made even a little bit of sense was was really bad in my eyes. And that's well, see, one at one point during the campaign where I couldn't keep silent, and I, you know, posted it to YouTube and wrote wrote a couple articles about it. See, Gary Johnson is an interesting fellow because he wants to be consistent with himself, right? Mm-hmm. And he he worked, and he's a governor in the government, and he I think he he's a true believer in the government. He truly believes the sure can work with the right people involved. And so, you know, when you say the non-aggression principle. I mean, government on its face, anyone who is consistent can will tell you that it's just government does not, you know, co- cannot coexist with the non-aggression, non-aggression principle. So Gary Johnson, in his weird way, is kind of like, because he believes in government, he can't really 
jive with the non-aggression principle. He can't, you know, he's not willing to contradict himself, which is why he got in the, the Nazi cake debacle, because <laughs> once you say that you have to bake a cake, you know, then it has to go for everybody, you know? So he got himself in these situation because he was oddly consistent in a very strange way. So, I mean, he was not, he's, he's an inter- interesting fellow and he's just, I mean, I think those kind of guys are good for the movement, but not at the national level representing libertarianism. And that, that's the crux, I think, of why I think the party is so important is that on the national level, whether we like it or not, the presidential nominee of our of the Libertarian Party is the king of libertarians. And to the average person, when they hear that person in front of, you know, talking or in a debate or anything, they they view that as this is what all libertarians believe. This is what libertarianism is about. And that's why I'm in the party, because I want to make sure that that person that's represented all of us, like it or not, you know, I want that person to be to be someone that's inspiring, someone that will bring people in and someone that will actually carry the, the important parts of the message. Because, you know, I know we're not going to win. And that's mm-hmm. the rift in the party. When I talk to people who are more pragmatic, because in Indiana, where I'm at, it's actually a very active state party, but it's a very pragmatic state party. Like most of the people in the party are older. You know, they're former Republicans, which, you know, that they're basically more open-minded Republicans, but are still having that conservative nature about them to where, you know, they don't want to ruffle any feathers. They don't want to kind of shake the boat too, rock the boat too much. And so they want that Bill Welch style guy, the Gary Johnson, the former governor, you know, successful business person, you know, that kind of person that can give us some credibility. Maybe they're not great in the message. It's just more important in the message. And I'm, I'm the opposite. You know, I'm trying to talk to these people like, look, we're not going to win. They're like, well, no, I mean, look, we might, you know, if we get the right guy and if this and that, but no, we're not going to win. Even if Ron Paul got elected, they wouldn't let him get to office. Come on. I mean, they just, you know, and, and, you know, maybe because when you get a certain age and you just kind of want to like, well, I'll take what I can get, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this like a hundred years from now, you know, that's, I'm, I'm laying the grain, laying the groundwork for a long term. Yeah, it's a long game for sure. Yeah, It's a long game. And look, I'd, I'd much rather, you know, get, you know, a few hundred thousand people affected by our nominee. That's going to truly believe in this philosophy, like the Ron Paul revolution and just completely immerse themselves in it and become just totally anti-state rather than get 5 million votes or 10 million votes of just people that are like, yeah, you know, I'm a centrist. I'm not, a, you know, I'm an independent. Yeah, I like some things here. I'll let you know, OK, I can go along with the marijuana thing and yeah, maybe I could go along. With wars. I mean, yeah, we could maybe the Iraq war. That. Yeah, we'll, we'll you know. Us. So that's not going to get us anywhere. We're, we're building a castle on sand. It's going to just, you know, collapse. Right. We're not, so that's why I'm in the party. That's why I think even though I'm a non-voter and I don't, I'm never going to vote, I, you know, I'm going to try to steer this party toward a, getting that more Ron Paul, Harry Brown style leader that will actually inspire people. Yeah. And that's what I, with this last election, it was, I forget how many millions, a couple million votes they got. For Gary Johnson, but it was one of those things where it's like, well, how many of those people, of the people that voted for him are going to, that weren't already libertarians, were going to turn around and be like, you know what, Gary Johnson really inspired me to to start reading some of this stuff. Mm, yeah. I, I think very, very small amount. I'm sure there were some, but 
but not like a Ron Paul type person that, that makes you the stuff you hear it, it it's planting seeds and that's why and that's why I, I'd much rather prefer to have someone like you on to talk about this as opposed to I've heard a lot of some commentary about the the convention and the the take human action bash and nothing against them but when it's someone running for office mm-hmm. like I, I also kind of want to hear what they have to say, but at the same time, it's, it's, well, we can get elected. We can win this election, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's like, all right, I guess you kind of got to say that, but, but I'd rather <laughs> right. reel that here, rather hear that real talk of, you know, um, we're in this for the long haul. Mm-hmm. Let's be realistic. No one knows or cares about libertarianism, but we need to start spreading the message out. And that's what we're talking about beforehand is, although I'm not, or maybe I did I say this on air or whatever I'll say it again if I did, <laughs> but uh, you know I'm not really into the political side. I'm I'm not really interested in the Libertarian Party, but I don't know what the best way to spread the message is. I have what I think I'm I'm good at or better served at doing it, and and I want the people that other people that if they think they have another better way of doing it that suits their um their talents and their desires, and then then go for it. Um, I'm not about trying to just take one approach and if it happens to be the right way, Hey, that's great. If not, we're really screwed. So it's it's, a division of labor. I mean, this is, we, everyone has their strengths and weaknesses, has their likes and dislikes. And that's going to, whatever, whatever we like to do, that's going to help the movement out. Do it, You know, like I don't vote, but I don't care if someone votes or not. You know, I don't care if someone votes for, you know, Austin Peterson left to go to the Republican Party. Great. That's fine. Heck, if he becomes senator, that's great. Yeah, he's not perfect, but I'm not going to bash him because he left because he got he got elected to the wrong party. I mean, if he's in there at least. You know, yeah, he may not be able to affect policy. Ron Paul never affected policy, but you know, look, look what he was able to affect people's lives, you know. So I'm not going to bash anyone for what they do. But, yeah, I, I think, honestly, though, we really need to be realistic about know what politics can do for the movement which is it's, it's not gonna we're not gonna win you know we're not gonna have a libertarian world by electing politicians we just, we just have to use I mean, the whole idea of an election is just to make us feel better about charge of us taking our money you know so why not use that against them why not use their process and even though they're going to shut us down they're going to keep us out of debates they're going to try to get rid of ballot access and you know you know Whatever, whatever little bit of, of press that we can kind of, you know, wedge into the, you know, into the media, let's use it and let's use it to talk against the Federal Reserve and against the war. I mean, Ron Paul got like college kids, mon- monetary mm-hmm. policy. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is just unbelievable. But there, and, and then look what happened after that when they had the, you know, the, uh, the the Wall Street, what was that called again? The the nine Occupy, uh, Occupy yeah. Wall Street. I mean, even though that wasn't a libertarian, that's still of people that know something. Something's is wrong. not right. Something's yep. not right. And you know, we, we if we get a guy in there in twenty twenty that is able to articulate what is not right, especially if we're due for another recession at some point. That's just that's just the life of of having a federal a cycle. You know, the, the first recession, I think, really laid the groundwork for Ron Paul because he's been talking about it beforehand. And now it happened just as he's rising to this you know, national stage. 
So I would hate to have it happen again. And then Bill Weld is our guy, and he's talking mm-hmm. about we need the Fed now more or something like that, as opposed to a guy that could say, look, this is the problem. You know, it caused the problem in 08. Now the problem's worse. We have to, you know, stop the bleeding and cut our losses and realize that, you know, this is going to be our life unless we make a change. Again, that's why I'm in the party, you know, because uh, I really want to do what I can to steer this boat to where we can have somebody out there that's willing to say these things. So that's encouraging for sure. Um, and it's good to hear the Mises um, human action thing went well. It was a good turnout. A lot of people fired up. But then what I heard, and I don't know what's true and what's not, but Nick Sarwak was reelected as, um, I guess, the party chair. Is that what his title is? Yeah, yeah, the title is? party chairman. Yeah, that's basically like the imagine the president of the Libertarian Party, yeah. Right. So he kind of, I mean, he's got to have some effect on the direction of the party and what they do yep. and where they put their resources and all that. And I would say he's not a Misesian. Is that accurate? Yeah, he, he, he I wouldn't say so. And um, I mean, he's not a bad libertarian. Like, let's, let's no, you, I'm, yeah, that's about him. Like, great on so many things. And sure. Why he got reelected is, uh, you know, as much as I love Josh Smith and I hung out with him and talked to him, he's a great guy and he's going to be, you know, a really good force in his party because he got elected. LNC, the Libertarian National Committee, as at large member. So, the Libertarian Party in a pretty high up position. So that's positive. But you know, he, he didn't have a very good debate performance. And Nick Sarwark, you know, he's a, he, he's a lawyer. Like he's not he's not a dummy. Mm-hmm. No, and he's, he's, not he's dumb. very he's very articulate. He's funny. You know, he he. I mean, you know, he knows how to work a crowd. And he just he did really well the debate. Josh, he's a rookie. Nowhere, and he's never, the first time he's ever been on a debate stage, and he didn't do that great, to be honest. He he didn't really, you know, convey the message like that, like like I was, like I would have liked him to convey in terms of, look, we need to bring this party, you know, to the to the more Ron Paul revolution. Like he never mentioned once that he has shirked its responsibility to be the anti-war party. Like right. if I was up there, I would have said, look, in the last election cycle, do you know which party was the anti-war party? It was the Green Party. They uh-huh. were way more anti-war than Johnson and Wells. Mm-hmm. And that's unacceptable to me. Like the Libertarian Party should be the number one bar none anti-war party. If you're against the war, this is the party you should be. I don't care who else your views are. That's how it should come across. And and yeah, and I think Sarwark does not represent libertarianism as well as you know, when he's out there fighting with other libertarians. Like I think if you're the president of the Libertarian Party, you know, the chair. You should be the united. You should be the one that's, that's that's sort of like wrangling all the factions to be like we're all on the same team. Instead, he's trying to feud with Tom Woods. These guys have tremendous audiences. They're tremendously influential, and they're and they're amazing people. And they're just you know amazingly important for the movement at large. Even if you don't like some of the things, you know how they go about it or whatever. If you don't like something about them, you at least have to recognize they're they're important to the movement. Just like I recognize Sarwark. Important for the movement, but uh, I think the reason why he got reelected so easily is the first ballot he just got with like six percent of the vote is that you know the debate performance was really well, and then he I mean he he's really really good at um at running the business of the party. I think no one will dispute okay. that. You know he raised there's a lot of money got raised. Obviously we know we have record vote totals. 
you know, in terms of some people were hired national at the national level to help out state affiliates and candidates. So a lot of good stuff was happening behind the scenes, like as an organizer. And, you know, as the chair, he also ran the whole convention, you know, so he's up in the mic the whole time wrangling the cats of the Libertarian Party, and he did an excellent job at it. I mean, he's just, you know, I mean, he's very good at that part. That, that's his role in the party. He's amazing at it. It's just once that convention ends, and now he's representing us, that's when it's going to be like, oh, that's why we wanted him gone. <laughs> and so, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, for Josh, his inexperience coupled with, with Star Wars, you know, performance running, running the uh, convention, that kind of got him reelected, you know? And I think, I think though, he's going to be weak for next time because nothing's going to happen in the next couple of years. And there's going to be that, there's going to be a big rift in the party. Now there's going to be the, well, we all know is going to run. And then there's going to be whoever the up. And I think they're going to try to pick up a uh, Patrick Byrne. Do you guys know who he is? I've heard the name. Uh, I can't say I'm not very familiar with him. I'm not familiar with him. No. Yeah. He's the uh, owner is the uh, CEO and, uh, Owner of uh, Overstock.com. Oh, 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 oh yeah, yeah, sure, yeah, of course. Yeah, sure. he was on Tom Woods a couple yep, of years ago. Yep, yep. Big crypto guy. He was the first yeah. company, like million dollar company, and he's a billion dollar company, but he's the first million dollar company to accept crypto. It's like twenty four. And he's been big on crypto forever. Right on economics. Uh, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he's, he's he's against the Fed, and he's want he wants sound money. I'm, I've never heard him talk about war, so that's that's what I'm kind of waiting for. But um. At the at Porkfest, he was at Porkfest, which I mean, that alone is a pretty good indication of what kind of libertarian he is, you know. Sure. Yeah. So uh, he was at Porkfest. Someone asked him about running for president. Like he said, he won't rule it out. And um, and then at the convention, I was talking to one of the guys at the, one of the one of the, the the head organizers of the Mises Caucus, and I was talking to him about if they have any uh any 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 fish in the line, you know, for 2020. And they said, look, yeah to this uh, crypto event, I think in New Jersey or something coming up, and they said, look, we know Patrick Byrne's going to be there, so we're going to approach him and try to harpoon him because you know, and talk to him and try to get him running. So, I mean, the good thing about a guy like him is he's, you know, he's not just like some random guy. You know? Successful, yeah. He could even be a billionaire. I don't know. He could match Bill Weldon money. Well, yeah, the, the fact that he's... Yeah, he's he's got overstock.com. He's got something that's recognizable by basically the entire country. It it adds some credibility there just just on mm-hmm. that. So it's not just oh, it's just some crazy libertarian that lives in the basement. Right. Or doesn't know what Aleppo know. is. Or a naked <laughs> guy on stage. I love He's that smart guy. Smart guy. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, I don't know if any skeletons in his class is going to come out, you know. So it'd be pretty interesting if the Mises caucus is able to or you know, able to convince him to to run. You know, now these sort of like, uh, well, the Terrians that want that respectable kind of, you know, image for the party, hmm. you know, I'm, I'm thinking that that might convince them. And then you got a guy like, well, it's just kind of, in, you know, not really, he's getting better at, I guess, understanding libertarianism. It, that's sad that you even have to say that. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Well, I will say one thing, if you want me to talk about Weld a little bit, he does have a, a rather good pitch for why he... For his direction of the party. Are you enthusiastic um, about it? Like, I'm how, not. How he's going to I, handle the state? <laughs> I'm not enthusiastic, but I can. I'm a believer that if we just get the right person in power, we might be able to make some changes. If you believe that, 
he's got a good pitch because he was at the Indiana State Convention um, before, you know, before National Convention. I didn't go to a speech. He had to pay for that. I didn't pay for that. And I pay for a Bill Wells speech. <laughs> but um, he was the, the local podcast, the We Are Libertarian podcast. Um, they recorded it and put it on their feed. Listen to it. And here's what Bill Weld says. And this is, this is pretty, this is, this, this will put us, if this, what he says is true, in an interesting kind of conundrum too, though, I'll be honest, because, uh, he thinks that going into 2020, Trump will be president and he'll, he'll be unelectable, either through some scandal or some economic collapse. Basically, he says there's a good chance that he's just going to flat out be unelectable. Maybe he's going to primary him and wound him. Something's going to happen. And Weld said, look, if the Democrats put up Bernie Sanders or like Elizabeth Warren or someone who's really hard left progressive, he says that he knows a lot of people who are unhappy with this, especially if Trump can't win, and who are willing to, to fund the right candidate for 50 to $100 million. He says, imagine, he's telling this to the Indiana State Party. Libertarian, $100 million in, in, you know, in their campaign. Now, he doesn't say which nominee it's going to be, but I think we all know. And, and the idea is, think about this. If you know Trump can't win, and you know a Democrat is going to be like Bernie Sanders, I mean, you as a libertarian or as an average you know, American, I mean, Weld looks pretty good compared to that. What do you guys think? Well, we'll probably get some of those. Uh, you know, Hillary had uh, issues with Bernie Sanders, so we'll probably get some of those voters to come over to the libertarian side. Like, I mean, so I, but how I look at it, though, is I'm not convinced because I don't care if Well does win. I mean, obviously, I mean, Sanders or Donald Trump, but not first sure. of all, not by much, because he's a creature of Washington. He's a creature of, of this whole establishment. He's, I mean, he's not going to be the guy that goes in there and slashing budgets, bringing troops home. That is perfectly legitimate. So I mean, there's there's no there's no room to work there. And my guess, if Bell did win, the budget would go up. You know, it wouldn't go down. Right. Uh, you know, no wars would stop. Maybe one might slow down a little bit, but then he then of course whoever is in charge would find somewhere else. That's how it works. Troops don't come home; they go somewhere else. You know. Yep. And but the problem is, it's a good pitch. Because you know, if you're if you're a libertarian and you're like, we have a chance to actually win, we have a chance to do this. That's going to be hard for people to say no to that. Just get that right person in power. You know, we might be able to cut government, and that's gonna that's what we're up against with the party. I think. Yeah, that's interesting and kind of kind of skeevy. That he's saying, like, I got a, you know, millions of dollars lined up here if this and this happens. But, and then you're I mean, absolutely right. It's probably the truth, though. I mean, I don't know. Oh, I don't yeah. No, I, I don't mean know, skeevy is in lying. I mean, skeevy is in, I believe it, but it's, it's still feel, it's, it yeah, feels dirty. He's using the party. He basically, right. he's using the Libertarian Party because we're the only vessel that would have ballot access in all 50 states, you know, and plus, that would at least somewhat align with what he's saying. I mean, obviously, the other party is the Green Party, but they never have full ballot access and just a whole different world. 
But yeah, and he is using the party. And, and, the, and the fact is, he got booted out of the Republican Party. No one really knows why, but he, he was for some reason. That's why in 2000, I think, six, there was a big controversy in New York. He tried to run for governor as a Republican, and he went to the Republican Libertarian, the, the New York Libertarian Party, and said, because they can run fusion tickets in New York, so you can be on more than one party huh. ballot. Hmm. And then he says, look, put me on your ballot. You know, I'm going to run as a Republican, but I'm really a secret libertarian. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to. And then what he did was he promised them, look, if I don't get the Republican nomination, I'll still run as a libertarian. You know, I'm still going to give you guys a bump. He didn't get the Republican. Apparently some backroom deal happened where he lost the nomination. And then he cut out in the libertarian. They had no one on the ballot. <laughs> so they <laughs> Yeah. And, hmm. and, you know, that's one thing he talked about how, oh, you, you know, I, I made a mistake, yada, yada, yada. And then he talked about how, uh, you know, on the gun thing, you know, I didn't really believe that when it came to guns, you know, about that should be illegal. That was someone in my office. Guns are important. And, you know, so he's, he's definitely uh, tailoring his message to the crowd. But I've, I've got a feeling if he does get the nomination. Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it just I mean, goes it, to show you it, playing, you're playing with fire. And, yeah, and it, it yeah. kind of feels to me like it's a, it's a fit accompli he's going to be the nominee. Um, I hope I, that's I, not I the case, but uh, that's good to hear. Here's what I think we got a shot. You, you, you guys follow Tom Woods and Dave Smith, both sure. joined the Libertarian Party after this uh, Mises bash? Yeah, I saw that. I mean, that that's huge because these guys have some serious pull. And already mm -hmm. I'm looking at Facebook and Twitter. People are just in droves or joining the party. They're following these guys. So 2020, you know, is going to be a pretty amazing convention because you're going to have all the coming in from the Tom Woods, Dave Smith style of, of you know, any, anyone, anyone but well. Yeah. I mean, I'll, of, yeah. I'll, I'll join the Libertarian Party if they make tractors part of the platform. <laughs> yeah, we could, we could bring. I was waiting to you. you <laughs> it was coming. I mean, thank you for not trying to throw it in there for me like Slappy did recently <laughs> and ruined it right when I was about ready to pounce. Oh, but can I tell you my convention for me? Sure. Well, I, when I met Scott Horton you know, at the Mises Bash, I shook his hand and said, hey, Scott, my name is Mike Tron. He's like, hey, Mike Tron. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. You know, I'm on, on Twitter, you know, I'm me. I'm yeah, not, you know, I mean, he's, he was more excited to meet me than I was to meet him. He's like, yeah, what are you doing? So that was, yeah. Scott Horton was excited to meet me. That, Very cool. That's awesome. So, he he really seems guy. like a genuinely awesome dude. Man, he he he, he needs to be. Hey, I, I talked to Tom Woods at the hotel. I caught with Tom Woods. I said, "Hey, Tom, that speech you gave it brought." I, I almost cried. I'm not one to cry either. He's like, "Man, thanks. I appreciate that." And then I mentioned like that yeah, Scott Horton. He's he killed it too. And Tom's like, "Scott Horton should be on that stage right now." You know, pointing at right. you know. The fact that he's not is just an absolute travesty. And the fact that the party doesn't have, he needs to be in this party somehow. Like, you know, I think I want to talk to, I think I talked to Josh or someone a few weeks ago. I was like, man, if you get in the chair, make a special position for Scott Horton. Like, tell him he's your official 
policy advisor to the Libertarian Party or something, give him some title, and get this guy in from some, some in cable news somewhere. Like, give him some spots. I mean, use the party, you know, name. Just getting that guy in front of, of, of the of the you know country, even a few minutes at a time, I think would be huge to wake some people up and really show people that there are different things out there. Oh, can you imagine if he went on a cable news panel? That would be the I mean, most what, amazing yeah. thing in the world. I'm telling you, like you see what Dave Smith does, and Dave Smith is pretty much you know what Scott Horton would do, and I mean he's just unapologetic anti-war and just and, and he knows his stuff. That's mm-hmm. the important thing. He's not just I'm against the war. Yeah, just, I mean, Dave kills these people, and, and and Scott Horton is knows twice as much as Dave does, and and he's he's just as just as you know, you know, smooth and knowledgeable. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, it's a shame that these guys, like this much talent, is in the movement. This and and like I said, we have this this amazing tool in the Libertarian Party. I'm telling you, this this tool can get us in front of people because it is like the official party and it's, you know, but we're not, it's so underutilized in terms of larger movement because the people who are kind of in charge are a little more conservative. They don't want to you know rock the boat and they don't want to turn people off. So they're just, and, and it's just, it's just, it's a, it's a long run game. And if it, it, I don't know how you can't be convinced when you see what Ron Paul did when he get, actually finally got some attention, and the amount of people he woke up, and and just the quality of people that he woke up, and the quality of activism that people are, are involved in the movement, and how how would you not want that in your party just charging forward at you know, at, at this beast of a government we're we're up against? You know, I can't I can't imagine it. So tell me this, um, if people listening or myself were considering joining the Libertarian Party, what's the point? I mean, tractors, tractors. But when, and when I say that, like they they pick their candidate at the convention. I'm not I have three young kids. I'm not going to go to Texas for a couple of days for the convention. Yeah. I mean, it's just not going to happen. All right. Um, why should I? I mean, I'm not going to vote. I'm not going to go there. What, what, what would be the advantage, or why should I? Or should I? Or would you just say, well, then you're not the kind of guy I'm looking for? I mean, I guess it'd be nice to go to the local things and talk about ideas and maybe try to convince people. Or, but how can you influence the party if you're not going to the convention? Is that a stupid question? No, it's a great question because most of us are not going to Austin, Texas. You know, like you said, you got kids, you got a family, you got a job. Now I'm similar. Now, I was very fortunate to be able to go to New Orleans and um, be able to make it to Austin. I don't see why not. I'll, 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 I get to meet local people that are, are libertarian. And yeah, they're not all 100% true blue, or, you know, take it all down they're 98% there, which is fine. They're all great people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, me and a buddy, the guy, my first meeting I went to, I, I met a guy who was big into crypto and he doesn't really go to meetings too much, but that was one he went to and we started talking and we started, we started a local beer night once a month here in Fort Wayne, where we just hang out and drink beer. People show up, you know, and just drink nice. beer and hang out. So that's the main reason I'm in it. But as far as, um, like if you can make it to the state, Depending on what state you're in, you can have an effect because at the state convention, you elect 
delegate to the national convention. And, you know, some states don't have, they, they have more spots than people that want to go. Some states like Indiana, where I'm at, we had 29 spots and like 45 people wanting to go. I was barely lucky mm. enough to in there in the bottom, you know, because I'm not too well known in the party yet, but I got some stuff. So I was barely able to you know, become a delegate. So imagine, you know, 2020, I think every state is going to be loaded up with people that want to go to this convention because it's going to be so contentious. So even if you can just become, go to the state convention and vote in the delegates that you know are going to be like the Mises guys, because right now what's starting to happen as this Mises caucus is actually, it's kicking up the high gear right now. Like there's more activity now than there ever was, thanks to Tom Woods and Dave Smith. So now we're getting state chapters. So, hey, you know, find the local state guys, find out who's in the party, go to the state convention and elect them. Go out there for you and represent us well. But I would say just to hang out with local libertarians. I mean, what more do you need? Everything else is just a bonus if you ask me. Fair enough. Yep. So, uh, I don't know. I think that, but that about wraps up what, uh, what I had here. Um, I don't know if anyone else had anything they wanted before we, uh, go into our free market success story of the week. Yeah. No. Any last words, Mike? I got no last words. I think you summed up everything pretty awesome. But I, I would say one thing too. I want to kind of correct something about the party. Everyone's talking about, you know, that, Libertarian Party is overrun by Democrats and social justice warriors, and that's not the case. There's like, out of 700 delegates, there was like 10 people I would classify as sort of like social justice types, and they're the ones that were trying to get the Libertarian Socialist, you know, to be chair. The people that are in the party that are kind of like, you know, leading it toward the more Bill Well, Gary Johnson style. They're just like older people who've been in the party for years and that they just kind of want that respectable person. So, you know, it's not a bunch of, you know, so you'd be thinking, oh, if I join the party, it's going to be just a bunch of yada, yada, yada. And it's not the case. It's just a bunch of, you know, people that have been around so long that they're kind of, they're more pragmatic. I think all of us naturally, we get older, we get less radical, we get more pragmatic. And that that's really the biggest, uh, I think, stumbling block is just overcoming that pragmatism, like, you just want to get someone that will get in front of more people that's more, you know, talented. We have right now in the party. Yeah, it sounds like we need a. Uh, I know someone on Twitter who's uh, has a podcast, been on the show a few times. It's uh, could use his anti boomer skills there, it sounds like. <laughs> so, uh,. Slappy, you want to give us a free market success story? I think you wanted to complain about used car salesmen or something. Yeah, I hate used car salesmen. Um, all Don't of we them. all. No. Um, I, so, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I was at the car dealership uh, just going in. You know, why not? See what they have. Uh, if I want to trade in my car, maybe get something new or upgrade. And I, I ended up not doing anything. And uh, it's kind of hard to sometimes get answers out of them they keep talking about monthly payments and i don't care about the monthly payment i want to know the price of the car they just refuse to give it to you but anyway uh one thing they did do is every time they brought a car out they would bring out a carfax report because everyone knows i mean it's just the reputation for that industry for years is used car salesmen are liars they just want your money they'll roll back the odometer whatever the case is they'll sell you a lemon and then you're stuck with it but Carfax is a free market 
idea. Uh, people saw this problem with used car salesmen, uh, all used car salesmen, and uh, wanted a solution for it. And so they came up with this database. And I didn't look up the history of the company or where they're out of. I, I think it's their parent company is actually based in London. I think I saw that when I was looking at it um, the other day. But they're traded on NASDAQ. It's a public company. And whenever you get work done on your car, you, they, they send your VIN number to whatever database. And, and then, so you can get a report on the car for all the damage that has been done, all the repairs. It's really cool and solves a problem that people have had for a long time. Um, the used car salesman. <laughs> Everyone knows that stereotype and Carfax does a great job of keeping them honest and giving you uh, some kind of um, assurance that the car you're buying is in good shape. And that is completely out of the market. And there, there are laws. There's lemon laws. Uh, government has tried all kinds of things, but everyone still knows about the used car salesman. And now Carfax, they actually offer you the Carfax report so that you can see that they're not lying. Uh, it's pretty incredible. So that's my short little uh, free market success story. So hey, I thought about that. If you don't mind me buttoning in, go, go for it. it. I was, I was just thinking about this, like, because uh, Carfax, the dealers have to pay a certain fee to do it. And, and I think most mechanics don't report when they fix something on your car. But imagine this now with the blockchain. Like, uh, if every car had its own sort of, you know, private key and public key attached to it. Mm -hmm. And what if there was, like, a blockchain for, for like, a Carfax blockchain where uh, every time a mechanic reported the oil change. It's brilliant. You know? And that would incentivize mechanics to sort of keep updating on oil changes. And that way, it's a, it could be a public ledger, too. So where you could literally look it up yourself without having to go through this centralized company. And you could just look up a car anytime, anywhere with a scan of code or whatnot. And I was thinking about that. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, let's get on that. I'll, I'll make that a side chain of tractor coin. Let's do it. Tractor coin. No, that's actually a great idea. And just think of all the things that blockchain can do and will do in the future. I mean, it's still in its infancy. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm excited for it. Yeah, there's only going to be more solutions like that. That's a fantastic idea. So uh, show notes page for this episode is mcflugel.com slash 99. We'll have links to follow Mike on Twitter. Also, I'll uh, have links to the Mises Caucus website as well as their Facebook page and their Twitter handle. Mike, do you have anything else that you want uh, linked on the show notes page? I got nothing. Okay. Uh, check out our sponsor, Liberty Mugs. If you sign up to our email list, you will get a discount on Liberty Mugs. Also, if you want a free Liberty Mugs, if you sign up to the uh, Tom Woods Liberty Classroom uh, through our uh, affiliate link in the show notes page, we'll send you a free Liberty Mug. Just shoot us an email or something or find us on Twitter. Let us know that you did it so we can uh, know that it was you so we know who to send it to. Uh, subscribe to this podcast. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, all the other podcatchers. Uh, oh, let's talk about our friend's podcast, uh, Free Man Beyond the Wall with Mance Raider. It was pretty hey, Mance neat. Mance Raider joined the Libertarian Party too. He did. And Mance is in. speaking of Mance with his recent episode, I mean, it, it was pretty neat that he got Ron Paul on, but we got Mike Trant. So there you go. Take that, Mance. Yeah, beat that one, Mance. Mance doesn't have me. Nope. 
Uh, next one. I actually have the list up with me this time, so I don't have to remember do it from memory. Uh, friends Against Government with Car Campit and Bird Archist. Uh, you just have so many friends, it's hard to keep track. Yeah, and they're all against government. <laughs> next is Jeremiah Harding. He's got uh, three-hour shows on Wednesdays and Sundays. Why? He has three-hour shows every three hours. Yeah, he, he just doesn't ever stop. Yeah. Uh, the Peaceful Treason podcast. We're supposed to do a crossover with them. We got to actually get it scheduled. Yeah. And then last but not least, Dino with The Rogue File. So, uh, again, thanks for listening, everyone. And, yeah, Mike, thanks for having Thanks for coming on the show. We had a, we had a blast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, everybody follow Mike if you're not because he's always got good stuff. Yeah, and he's nice been because – for a long time. It's not what's nice about Mike is that um a lot of us, myself included, tend to get a little bit um feisty. You think so? On, well, sometimes every once in a while. I don't know. I don't see it. But I know Mike never does. He doesn't. Never. And and he does a very good job of, of just trying to be someone who kind of he brings, brings like people together. Reason and, yes. together and, and like explains it. He's very good at that. So that's that's much that's very needed. So you you do a good service there. I'm very necessary. I agree. <laughs> you should start charging. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. I'm in. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Peace.